Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Let's see. There, that all that works. All right. Welcome to our Tuesday night Torah class. We're almost almost on time. It's a minute early. Oh, there we go. Now we're on time. <laughs> I don't want anybody to say I started early. So, um, thanks for coming. <laughs> Let me. Let me open in prayer. Well, Father God, thank you for the day. Um, thank you for your word. Thank you for the people that are gathered here tonight to study your Torah. And I'd ask that you just uh, bless us tonight. Um, be in our conversation. Help us to uh, listen to one another. Uh, help us to think on these things. You have so much. Your Torah is unbelievably deep, Father God. And I just thank you for it. And I thank for the for the privilege of being able to uh, lead a discussion on it. So, in your name we pray. Amen. So, as you know, I always like to review just a little bit. Uh, we're going through the Torah, which are the first five books of the Bible, um, just in order. And we go for an hour and a half every, eve or every Tuesday evening. Um, the mic's right there on top. And then um, we... Just stop whenever the time's up, and then we pick up next week where we've gone on. There are schedules that get you through the Torah in a year, uh, and I, we've done those kind of schedules before as well. Um, but a lot of times the people don't like the, uh, the fact that you sometimes feel rushed, so we've decided to do it this way this time. And we started in Genesis quite some time ago, and here we are in Leviticus. And Leviticus is an interesting book. There's, uh, um, Leviticus is the middle book in the Torah, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Leviticus is in the middle. Traditionally, in uh, Jewish families, if you're going to learn the Torah, they always start with Leviticus, believe it or not, which to me has always been the most difficult book. I've been through the Torah cycle. That's another thing. Uh, you, when you get to the end of Deuteronomy, you just go back to Genesis 1-1 and start over again. And at first I thought that was kind of a bad idea, but I've done it. Now that I've done it about 15 times, I like it. <laughs> because every time through, you learn something new. And I'm here to tell you, like I say, it's been almost 20 years, and I still learn something new every time I go through it. But anyway, we've been in Leviticus, and we've gone through the first uh, half of Leviticus. I found this uh, diagram. This is, um, you can find this on a website called thebibleproject.com. Thebibleproject.com has got uh, many, many aids uh, for kind of learning through the Bible. Um, and this, this is a little diagram of the book of Leviticus, the way they've got it outlined. And we've talked before about the fact that the book is outlined in what they call a chiastic form. And chi is a Greek letter that looks like an X. And there are many, many examples in the Bible of things that are written in a chiastic form. And the way they work is it's, uh, 
they started a kind of a broad in broad way and then they narrow down and narrow down and then they get the middle and then they broaden out and broaden out and it's a kind of a paired thing the first part lines up with the last part and the second part lines up to the next to the last part and they kind of zero in on one thing right in the middle and tonight we're in exactly the middle we've gone through the first um, three parts, if you will, of the book of Leviticus. Um, and we're now in chapter 16. And chapter, chapter 16 is uh, the Day of Atonement. And I th it was just this year that I realized that that's the center point of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus, the whole point, if you will, is to get you to this chapter. So after we get through reading uh, chapter 16 and 17, it'll start widening back out. And if you study that, you know, on your own sometime, you can see that there's a kind of a pairing. Uh, it's really, it helps put some organization to it. Because a lot of time when you're reading through this stuff, uh, a couple things happen. You kind of think, man, didn't I just read that a few pages back? And the answer is often yes. And so it's really helpful to have some kind of a, an outline or a guide so that you can put some organization to it. I realize I blabbed too much, but anyway. So what we've talked about so far is we've talked about the, uh, uh, the offerings. All the offerings are uh, mentioned in the first few chapters. See, to review, there's a grain offering, there's a burnt offering, a sin offering, a guilt offering, and a fellowship offering. And I won't go through them all, but those are the ones we've learned about. And then we've learned about a, uh, things that you need to do. Uh, the priest, we ordain the priests and we... Very little action in Leviticus, but we did get Aaron's two sons got zapped um, for presenting strange fire, and we talked about that. And then we talked a lot about ritual purity, talked about what food is food and what food's not and things like that, what, what things are not food. I don't know if that's very good. I'm really glad to be in chapter 16 because the last one was about discharges and all this other weird stuff. Verse, in chapter 15, just to review a little bit, uh, verse 31 of chapter 15 is kind of a good summary. It says, this is God speaking to the Israelites through Moses, and he says, you must, well, he's talking to Moses, sorry, you must keep the Israelites separate from things that make them unclean, so they will not die in their uncleanness, for defiling my dwelling place, which is among them. God is living among the Israelites in, um, at the foot of Mount um, Sinai right now, is what he's doing. And he's come down and he's dwelling in his tabernacle. But these are the things that, pe that people have to do in order to, to stay clean so that they, actually, they can not die, it says here. And that's what happened, uh, for example, to Nadab and Abihu. They were unclean, they did something that was unauthorized, and they, got, they died. So, chapter 16. We'll start this, this middle thing. Does somebody want to volunteer? We usually just have somebody read, and then we read a fairly good-sized hunk, and then we go back and talk about what it is that we just read. So, I'm looking for a volunteer. If somebody would like to read uh, Leviticus chapter 16, and let's see. We'll go the first, the first 14 verses, the first 14 verses of chapter 16. 
Thanks, Mike. One through four, uh, 16. Yeah, chapter 16, uh, starting at the beginning and going through 14, <clears throat> verse 14, through verse 14. Well, you don't have to be close to this one. Must be new batteries. And Yahweh spoke to Moshe after the death of the two sons of Aaron as they drew near before Yahweh and died. Okay. And Yahweh said to Moshe, Speak to Aaron, your brother, not to come in at all times to the set-apart place inside the veil before the lid of atonement, which is on the ark, lest he die, because I appear in the cloud above the lid of atonement. But this Aaron should come into the set-apart place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as an ascending offering. He should put on the set-apart linen long shirt with linen trousers on his flesh and gird himself with a linen girdle and be dressed with the linen turban. They are set-apart garments. And he shall bathe his body in water and shall put them on. And from the congregation of the children of Israel, he takes two male goats as a sin offering, one ram as an ascending offering, and Aaron shall bring the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take the two goats and let them stand before Yahweh at the door of the tent of appointment. And Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for Yahweh and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the lot for Yahweh fell and shall prepare it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot for Azazel fell is caused to stand alive before Yahweh to make atonement upon it, to send it into the wilderness of Azazel. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall slay the bull as the sin offering, which is for himself. And shall take a fire holder filled with burning coals of fire from the slaughter place before Yahweh with his hands filled with sweet incense beaten fine, and shall bring it inside the veil. And he shall put the incense on the fire before Yahweh, and the cloud of incense shall cover the lid of atonement, which is on the, on the witness, lest he die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the lid of atonement on the east side. Also, in the front of the lid of atonement, he sprinkles some of the blood with his finger seven times. Okay, thanks. That's plenty to get us going here. Um, so this is the beginning of a parashah. Like I say, they divided the Torah up into different parashahs, each of them being two or three chapters to study for a week. Um, this parashah is entitled Akarai, Akarai Mot, which Akarai Mot, translated into English, stands means after the death. So why, I mean, it's always the first line always names it. So after the death, what death are they talking about? The two sons of Aaron. Two sons of Aaron. That's Nadab and Abihu we were talking about earlier, right? Right. Um, so it says, okay. So it was several chapters ago that we read about that. So this, this is the first action that's happened in the past, you know, four or five chapters because um, all the rest of that stuff that we read just are the, 
the laws, if you will, the rules that uh, God is sitting down for, for all of the Israelites. So what's he say? In verse 2 he says, he's, God says to tell Moses, tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die because I appear in a cloud over the atonement cover. What do you, what do you think about that? Now, first of all, we know where the most holy place is, right? You've got the tabernacle, and when you go inside the tabernacle, the first place you come to is called the holy place. What's in the holy place? What's on the right as you're looking in the holy place? The right is the table of showbread. What's on the left? The menorah. The menorah's on the left, and right in front of you is a hand-woven tapestry, a big curtain. And in front of that curtain sits a little thing about this big. You know what that is? That's the, what is that? It's, it's the altar of incense. The altar of incense, okay? Now, that curtain, what's behind the curtain? The ark. The ark of the covenant is behind the curtain, and the ark of the covenant, um, what's in it? Well, you don't know everything that's in it. Let's see, there's what? Two tablets. So the, the Ten Commandments are in that ark. And the other things that are in the ark, we don't really know yet because we're not there yet. So we don't need to talk about that right now. What's on top of the ark? The lid, right? What'd you call it? Mercy seat. That's right, the mercy seat. And, oh, I used to have pictures of that. I don't have them with me. But the, it's, um, it's got two angels, or cherubim, I guess they're called, that are, are kneeling and their wings are over stretched over and they, they cover that. Now, do you know the Hebrew name for the cover? Caporet. Caporet. Caporet means cover. Okay. They call it, beg your pardon? Yep, that's exactly what I was going to get at, Yom Kippur. The, the Kippur means covering, just like the Caporet would be the cover. Anyway, we'll, get, we'll talk more about that. But so what does God say here? He says, tell you, in verse 2, tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place. That's what I was going to say. Behind the curtain is the most holy place. So the front of it, where you got the menorah and the table of showbread and the incense altar, that's called the holy place. But behind the curtain is the most holy place. Sometimes they call it the holy of holies. And the only thing that's in there is the ark. And so... Um, he tells Aaron, your brother Aaron, not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover, or else he will die. What do you think? Let's see. I can't help but think about Nadab and Abihu. Do you remember what they did? They were accused of presenting unauthorized fire. So it's always been in my mind, I mean, I could be wrong about this, but they had just been ordained, Aaron and his sons, and they were probably pretty excited about all of this, and they thought they'd go give it a whirl. So they went in, and they basically did exactly that. They, not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place. So they decided to do this. God didn't tell them to do it, right? And so they went in there, and that's exactly what happened to them. They died. Any comments about that? So he says, 
the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he would die, because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. John. So, yeah. Um, Joe brought up the, when we were talking about it that it was, uh, it was, uh, what is it? What was it? It was like it was a trespass. It wasn't necessarily, it was, uh, what did he say? I don't remember. Huh? I don't remember. It wasn't like necessarily that the smoke was, was the incense was a strange incense. It didn't have the, it was without authority. Ah, yes. Remember? Yes. Okay. And part of the authority is you have to do it at this time. Exactly. I, I'm not even sure they were supposed to do it at all, period. But nope. they, were, did, they didn't do it. They just, whenever they felt like it, no. Yep. It's, at, at this time you do this. Yeah. I, I don't know if we've actually quite covered it yet, but we might as well talk about it. This time is once per year, and the only person that can do it is the high priest. Well, verse 2 says, do not come, not at all times. Yeah. So implying there's a specific time. Yeah, we'll find that out here in a little right. bit. Yep. So, so it, it wasn't necessarily the materials that, that were, <clears throat> were wrong, but it's the not following the rules. Well, any of a whole host of things could have been wrong with what they did. Because what we're going to learn here at the end of the chapter is that uh, only one person could do it, and that, only, and that one person could only do it once a year. So it wasn't like any time anybody decided to, they could wander back there and go behind the curtain and look, um, which is a pretty scary thing. The, the last sentence I read, it uh, says, uh, because he will, uh, or else he will die because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. Now, you know, the, when God was in residence in the tabernacle, there was a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. And it, it was right over there picture back there I can't see from here, but you can get a look at it if you want, that shows this, you know, it's an actual photograph, I'm sure, that shows this cloud that's down there right over the tabernacle, and it, if, if you were to look, it would be right on top of this mercy seat. So, um, well, anyway, that, what it amounts to, and we've talked about this before, is God is holy, and uh, holiness can't have communion with uh, common things or unholy things or impure things. So it's not, this is me, it's not so much that God does this out of a sense of anger, it's just that you, you walk into His presence, and if you're not in a state of purity, it's just what happens. Do you suppose uh, the two sons actually saw Yahweh? Because it says, if you see me, you will die. Yeah. I wouldn't doubt it. They, so they just walked right into oh, yeah. that? Well, that's my assumption. Oh, okay. Because it says they presented unauthorized fire, which would be you know, what goes on here. Okay, let's go on. Um, verse 3. This is how Aaron is to enter the sanctuary area, with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Now, we remember that there's an order to which these offerings are brought the sin offering is always what has to happen first. The sin offering is what's brought in order to take care of the sin, right? Now, it says, well, it says in a minute here, the sin offering is for Aaron. This young bull is Aaron's sin that, that's going to be 
uh, paid for with the, the sin offering. And the burnt offering, what's the burnt offering symbolic of? It's recommitment to God. So the sin offering is, is basically uh, the atonement, if you will, or the forgiveness, uh, the price. It's the price to be paid for the sin. And the burnt offering, the burnt offering is the one that's completely consumed by fire. And that one is symbolic of you're recommitting yourself to God. You're basically saying, I want to commit all of me to you. So the, the young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Then this is uh, Moses talking to Aaron. He is to put on the sacred tunic with the linen undergarments next to his body, and he's to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are the sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, okay, the, let me stop there. So how is Aaron dressed? How is Aaron usually dressed? He's got, he's got on these white, this white uh, tunic, I think they call it, but then he usually has on this blue robe, right, with uh, the ephod up here and the breast, the breastplate thing and the apron deal, that's the ephod. So he's usually got this colorful thing on, but it doesn't mention those. So what's he going to look like after he dresses according to this? White. He's all in white, right? All he's got is he's got his white robe on, his white turban, and his white sash. So he's dressed in white. Um, and he's bathed himself, and he has to do that so he'll be clean, right? He's, he needs to be in a clean state in order to present himself before God. Any questions or thoughts about that? Then verse 5 says, From the Israelite community, he used to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Okay? So, do you see the difference? The bull and the... What was it? The bull and the ram were for him. And that, that's the first ones we dealt with. And this, these two goats, um, two male goats and a ram, are for the people of Israel. So his first job is to present the offering for himself. And his next job is to present the offering for all of Israel. That's, that's who this, this next one is. It's for all of Israel. That's what it says. From the Israelite community, take two male goats for a sin offering and ram for a burnt offering. Okay. Any questions? Any thoughts about this? Verse 6, Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before Yahweh at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So this is, this is where all offerings are, are made, right? Outside this tent of meeting that we were describing, out in front there, off to the left a little bit, I think, I don't know, is this laver, the place where you wash. But right in front of it is this big, I call it a barbecue pit, right? It's five, about five feet by, no, that's more like seven feet by seven feet by three or four feet tall. And this big, big bronze thing. And that's where they offer the, the sacrifices, where they present these offerings. Hmm. So... So he presents them at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He's to cast lots for the two goats, one for Yahweh and the other for, your version said, Azazel, right? Does anybody else? Uh, I'm in verse 8. It says, he is to cast lots for two goats, 
one for Yahweh and the other for Azazel. Does anybody else have another word there? Scapegoat? Any other word? Okay. That's an interesting word, Azazel. Let's see. I'm going to take a small rabbit trail, if that's okay. Not that I haven't been doing that, but uh, uh, I, I struggle with that word. There's a lot of controversy over that word Azazel. A lot of people think it means, um, see, I wrote it down here so I wouldn't forget it. They think it literally means goat of departure or removal. So, the, after we'll read through here for what it's for, it's to uh, take the sin of the Israelites and remove it. Um, some people think it means literally the scapegoat. You know, that's where the term scapegoat comes from. A scapegoat is someone that takes, you know, someone who takes the blame, right? That's the way we commonly use the term. So, it, it fits that too. Um, some believe that it's the name of a false god or a demon of Satan. And some believe that it refers to the place where the goat goes, because it needs to go to a place of wilderness. The sin needs to be removed to some out to the wilderness. John. Well, you were, you were talking about dubious meanings. One of the ones that says in the Brown Drivers Briggs is uh, uh, others suggest that this is the name of a desert demon. Desert demon. Okay. Well, okay. Anyway, we were talking about demons earlier yeah. today. I'm the, the, here's the rabbit trail. I've been reading this book lately um, that's um, concerned with, uh, it starts off with this phrase that we read this in Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 4 talk about, there's just before the flood, it's just before the flood of Noah, and talks about the, the sons of God uh, went into the daughters of men, daughters of man, and had children by them, and those children were the giants, the Nephilim. I've always, people have struggled with that forever, and I've been struggling with it too, you know. They have a lot of different explanations. Who are the sons of God? And uh, why are they different than the, you know, the daughters of men? I mean, what does this all mean? And there are various different explanations, none of which are very satisfying. But I recently, like I said, I've been reading this book that uh, is based on Enoch, the book of Enoch. Now, the book of Enoch is not in Scripture. It's not, it's not the canonized Scripture. But it turns out that it's as old as this in that uh, the... the Essenes who studied at the Dead Sea Scrolls before the time of Yeshua had copies of the book of Enoch, and they're, they're, they exist, and then they've translated it. And the Enoch, the book of Enoch, in this one section, talks about a group of angelic beings called watchers. And the watchers were sent to earth to kind of look over man. God had created man, and they were supposed to kind of keep him on the straight and narrow and protect him while he was, you know, doing, tending the garden, if you will. But the watchers became corrupt. They saw that the daughters of men were pretty good looking, and they thought that they could, uh, you know, they'd take them for their wives. And they knew that this was a sin. They knew that this is something they were not supposed to do. But they did it anyway. They formed this pact 
and said, we're going to go do this. And turns out that most of the first century um, people that studied the, the Torah knew about this and believed this. We've lost it in, in the succeeding 2,000 years because it's, you know, we don't talk much about this kind of stuff. But the reason I'm bringing all of that up is one of those watchers' name was Azazel. And Azazel being called a demon of the desert. Uh, the other thing these guys did, aside from go into the daughters of men, is they taught mankind all kinds of uh, bad things, like how to make swords and stuff and how to, you know, wear makeup. I don't know, it mentions a bunch of these things in the, in the, uh, the story in, in Enoch. But I thought that was kind of interesting. So here it is, studied through this thing all this time, and I now finally know kind of where Azazel came from. Yeah. I mean, not that that's, I, I'm, you know, I'm just saying it's interesting. But I can tell you about the book if you want to know it. So before this, they talk about two kid goats. Do you mm -hmm. know where that's at? What do you mean, do I know where that's at? Well, there's, it's in Genesis 27.9. Yeah. The one Rebecca is trying to convince Jacob to, to uh, get the birthright. Yep. In, 20, in 27.9, it says, Now go now to the flock and fetch from me from thence two good kids of the goats, and I will make them savory meat for thy father, such as he loveth. That's interesting. It's just interesting that they're just connected yep. back to that story. That's interesting. Well, the whole thing about goats is interesting. You know, it's, we got a question over here. I don't know if it's totally off topic, but just based on what you're seeing right Can't now. Can't be much worse than mine. <laughs> so you're saying that the watchers in the book of Enoch, um, you know, they looked at the daughters of men, mm -hmm. but the watchers are angels, correct? Mm -hmm. So from my understanding, angels are not human. How could they have intercourse mm -hmm. with women? Well, this, this, that's a good question. The mm -hmm. book that I'm reading says it wasn't that they couldn't. It was that they sh shouldn't. God told them don't. So I don't know anything about angels, obviously, but um, it, it's never said they can't. It just says they shouldn't. And so evidently they can, okay. if you believe all that. So with, with that assumption, then, then angels have female and male parts? I don't know. I, I, I would say, well, it's, mm -hmm. I don't know. Like I say, we're already probably way deeper than I am. Okay. So, okay. Uh, yeah, but that's fair, fair assumption. But it, I, it, I tell you what it does to me. It makes me think about this from the standpoint, usually I reject all this stuff kind of just out of hand. But the fact that it came from sources that aren't, you know, written in the 1500s or something, and that it's, uh, it's legitimate. And, and this guy in this book shows that the people in Yeshua's time knew about this and believed it. It was part of their understanding of the Old Testament, if you will. Um, then there's, I, there, there might be there, something there, yeah. to it. <laughs> I think what it is, it bears looking into. Whether or not you end up saying, ah, this explains everything and now I get it, I'm not there yet. But it, it's certainly not totally, yeah, it's not just off the table. Yeah. It's possible that the angels had male parts because they went into the daughters of men. Yeah, it says the it's, sons of God went to the daughters of men. So, yeah. so that's yeah. possible that it's just the one. 
It's, and like I say, the, one of the things this did for me, I mean, it was basically, that was a, if you will, that was a, a sexual sin. That was a, uh, they, they lusted after the daughters of men. Um, the, one of the things we're going to talk about, and if we get to the next chapter after this, is the, the way God feels about that kind of stuff. And so these, if that's the case, and this is really what happened, then you could see why that's a rebellion of the first order as far as God's concerned. So anyway, yeah. Well, since you let us out into the weeds and we're already there, I'll, okay. I'll <laughs> we're going to come time. back in a few minutes, but go ahead. <laughs> but I've read a little bit, a bit on this subject, and uh, there's a scripture, uh, it's either in Jude or one of the books of Peter, that talks about the angels who left their first estate. Yep. So apparently, uh, even though, you know, the Bible says when we, you know, Yeshua said when they asked him, whose wife will she be, you know, the seven sons? He yeah. says, nobody's because you'll be like the angels in heaven. Mm -hmm. So the angels in heaven who keep their first estate are, you know, can take physical forms, but they're not physical beings. It seems to me that these watchers somehow were able to take physical form, and that's how they lost their first estate. They rebelled against Yahweh. Yeah. And uh, those, uh, from my understanding, though, those angels uh, uh, sired these beings, as you call the Nephilim, which were like kind of genetically... They were like super not, men. Yeah, they weren't actually human. They're actually half human, half angelic. And they, yeah. yeah, they were like the, you know, like Goliath was a... Uh, he was, was a, a, he was at least a descendant. He was a descendant of the Nephilim. Yeah. You know, by the, well, flood, and, and, the flood kind of wiped them all out. That was the reason for the flood mainly was because of the genetic. Uh, yeah. That's why it says Noah was perfect because he was not. Yeah, he, 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 he was, uh, you know. His bloodline had been tainted yeah. with that. Yeah. That's, that's all fits. That but, all fits. Uh, the thing that was remarkable from my standpoint about what you said was Jude said that. Yeah. Right. So it, again, this guy that wrote the book that I've been looking at does a pretty good job of proving or showing that these guys in, in Yeshua's time knew about this. Yeah. They believe this. So um, I forgot what I was going to say here. Oh well, I interrupted. <laughs> but uh, uh, the, these angelic beings, the the originator, original ones, those are the ones who are kept in chains. Yes. Uh, you know that it talks about their, you know, in yep. in, in dungeons of darkness, and uh, apparently those are the ones who are going to be released, yep. you know, in the time of revelation. So it's a, I find it a very interesting s subject, you know, and I tend to believe that these sons of God are the actual angelic beings. Some people believe, oh, they're the sons of Seth, yep. and the daughters are the daughters of Cain. Yep. But there's only one line from Seth, and you know there's all other kinds of yeah, yeah. Uh, offspring a, from Seth that you know didn't make it through the flood. So you can't say that only the line of Seth yeah. was the righteous line. Yeah, so. that line of Seth is a very common thing, and that one doesn't seem to hold water very far. You won't be forgotten, but you yeah. Okay, you just said most of what I wanted to say. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> but I just want to point out that. In heaven, these beings, they don't die. Mm -hmm. They had eternal life. And so there was no need for procreation. 
Yeah. Which is why Yeshua said, in heaven, they don't, marry or get, yeah. they don't get married and they don't it's, have children in heaven because yeah. also when you look at the scriptures, it appears that all these beings in heaven are basically male. Yeah, that's true. Because they don't need to procreate. But these beings, one of the, besides trying to fulfill their lust when they wanted to come down to heaven, they, they were lustful, but another motivation was they wanted to have children, even okay. though they weren't supposed to. Yeah. I mean, they were kind of, in a sense, jealous of human beings being able to have children. Yeah. They had the ability to take on human form and so they and did. do this, yeah. and so they went against Yahweh, okay. they yeah. broke his commandment, and they actually, according to Enoch, they, took a, they made an oath together, all yeah. of them, that they all agreed they would all be equally responsible for this great sin that they, they recognized That's what they right. were doing was wrong. Yeah, and that part of it's very plain. Yeah. And they went ahead and did it anyway. Yeah, they said, we're, we're all in this together, so we'll all die together, so to speak. Did, Marvin had something. Okay, all right. Go ahead. What? We're going to get off this. This is way off the rabbit trail. We're coming back. Go ahead. Just uh, two really quick thoughts. Okay. Uh, the angels that came to gather Lot uh -huh. looked, uh, they looked like men. Yeah. Um, yep. So, you know, um, they, they did take on a human form, so yep. it wouldn't be... Good point. Uh, you know, it could be possible. Yeah. I, and then mm -hmm. also in Genesis, it mentions that the offspring became... And I think this is in the King James Version or maybe the ESV. Um, it says that the, the offspring became the heroes of the legends of old. Yeah. And um, so, I mean, I, I don't know about that for sure, but I've no. heard it, it said that um, that could be re re related to the um, mythical Greek God. Sure, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Not only that, but I mean, you, you hear about them like uh, Goliath and his brothers. Those guys were big old guys, right? Giants. And they talked about, and they all, that is in the Bible, of course. And this one guy that's in the Torah was, oh, I don't remember who it was. I guess it was Og of Bashan or something that slept in a bed that was, you know, 14 feet long. <laughs> so the, the, it's not like this is a single one-time thing. It's through there. But every time I read them before, I kind of said, yeah, 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 you know. I, I don't know what that is, but I don't, I don't get it. It's, it's funny that now, after all this time, I'm beginning to kind of give it a little bit of a, well, maybe you should look at this again. Go ahead. Uh, when getting back to the Nephilim, when we were in Israel, we saw, I think it's either called a doorman, where they were buried, where, mm -hmm. and they built like a house over them. We saw one 20 feet long. <laughs> I believe it. Well, okay. We, okay, one more, and that's it. One more, and then we'll quit. Because although this is fun, and I like it, I, I want to get something oh, a little more uh, concrete. If anybody's interested, there was a movie a few years back called uh, City of Angels. It had uh, Nicolas Cage in it, so you know it's got to be good, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but he was an angel who did this very thing. He, he uh, met Meg Ryan. Of course. Know, of course. Of course. And uh, he falls in love with her, and he leaves his estate and comes down and be actually becomes a physical man. Mm -hmm. And then he di she dies, and he's just, like, kind of stuck there. So. <laughs> but it's a good movie. Okay. All right. Anyway, I wanted to get that out. Primarily, the link that, the, the link that got me there was reading 
Azazel here, and the fact that that's an unusual name, you don't hear it very often, and that that name is very specifically used for one of these watchers, and they're listed in the book of Enoch. So you can go check me out. Anyway, moving right along then. Um, it, it, verse 10 says, But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before Yahweh to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. So I just wanted to talk about that and then move on. Let's see. This last part that um, Michael read was, Verse 11, Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household, and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before Yahweh and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the, the incense on the fire before Yahweh, and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the testimony." so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood with his fingers and sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover, and then he shall sprinkle some of it with his fingers seven times before the atonement cover. The, the thing I wanted to point out there was this taking coals, putting it in a censer, and going behind the curtain, and you know the, the vision that comes to mind is this, you know, waving it around, make sure and generate lots and lots of smoke. Now, what would be the effect of lots and lots of smoke back there? Yeah, well, hard to breathe, but you couldn't see. You couldn't see very good, right? So if God was really dwelling back there, and he is just a light that's, that's brighter than anyone could stand to look at, and he goes back in there and waves a bunch of smoke around, it would obscure it a little bit. And, and it says, and so he will not die. So I'm making this up. But it occurs to me that, that that would serve the function of obscuring, if you will, the face of God, so that he wouldn't be looking directly at the face of God. It'd be like, like, uh, well, like smoke from a forest or a, yeah, a forest fire, range fire out here. You know how it makes the sun look? It looks kind of, kind of orange, like an orange ball, and you can stare right at it. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, he sprinkles this blood. The, uh, but like I say, we're going to find out here in a minute. He only does this once a year. So you, you better get it right. <laughs> okay, any other questions before we go on? So I would like to get someone to read from verse 15 um, down to verse 28. Somebody want to read from verse 15 to 28? Okay, thank you. It says... He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on all the horns of the altar. 
He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness. Then Aaron is to go into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments he put on before he entered the most holy place, and he is to leave them there. He shall bathe himself with water in the sanctuary area and put on his regular garments. Then he shall come out and sacrifice the burnt offering for himself and the burnt offering for the people to make atonement for himself and for the people. He shall also burn the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The man who releases the goat as a scapegoat must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. The bull and the goat for the sin offerings, whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement, must be taken outside the camp. Their hides, flesh, and intestines are to be burned up. The man who burns them must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. Okay. Um. So the process goes on, right? So he, uh, the next thing Aaron does is he slaughters the goat for the sin offering for the people. You remember there were two, two goats, uh, and they drew lots. And one of them had to, had to be the sin offering, and so he goes ahead and does that. He takes the blood behind the curtain, and he does the same thing with it that he did with the bull's blood, uh, sprinkles it on the atonement cover and in front of it. And in this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins may have been. And he's do the same thing for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. So uh, the atonement has now been made for Aaron and his family and for the rest of the nation of Israel. Verse 17 says, No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. All right. So Aaron's the only guy that can be in there during this time. Now, that brings up a kind of a question. Could Aaron's sons, the other priests, be in the, the holy place? Yeah, they could. They could go in there and, and trim the wicks on the menorah and change the bread on the showbread. Could they be in the most holy place? No. They couldn't be in there. It's only Aaron that can go there. Pat has something. I'm confused what Aaron, I mean, what Nadab and Abihu have, why they would have fire in the most holy place, because there's nothing in there that needs to be on fire. 
Well, we, uh, we just talked about the, the censer full of smoke that, they, uh, that Aaron goes back there and shakes behind the veil so that the whole back room there is full of smoke. So that would be the only thing I can think of. I, I'm understanding okay. Okay. Thanks. But in general, you're right. Again, the thing with Nadab and Abihu, if you ask me, is they clearly just did this kind of on their own. I mean, you know, I, I, it's a picture I have in my mind, and there's nothing really to support it. But to me, they're probably young guys, and they're pretty jazzed up about how cool this is, and, you know, thought they'd go give it a whirl. Okay, so what's the deal with the goat that doesn't get the lot, if you will, the, whose lot falls to Azazel? What do you do with that goat? Aaron puts his hand on the head of that goat and transfers symbolically all the sins of the nation of Israel. Everything they've done wrong, either knowingly or unknowingly, he transfers the sin to the head of that goat. And then some other guy, it says uh, in verse 21, it says, He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. That's usually another one of the priests. Okay. Um, the goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place, and the man shall release it in the desert. Now, I read, this is something I read, and I think it's kind of interesting. Goats are not stupid, and so if you don't do a pretty good job of this, guess who's coming back, right? So um, they usually, they, I think tradition says that they would take the goat to some high cliff and push it over the cliff so that it was bound to die. I don't know that that's true, but that's something I read. I thought I'd pass that on. Then the Aaron, as well as this other guy, what do they do after they've done all of the, this part of the ceremony? They go and they change their clothes, right? They, they wash themselves and change their clothes. Aaron puts back on his, his uh, blue uh, tunic and his... Uh, ephod and the breastplate and all that kind of stuff. He dresses back up the way Aaron usually dresses. And what happens to the, uh, um, the sin offerings, both the, the goat that was, that was uh, uh, offered for the sins of Israel and the ram that was offered for Aaron and his family, what do they do with those? Some guy takes what's left of them out of the area out of out of the camp and they burn them outside the camp okay so I'm gonna finish the chapter and then we'll talk about it a little bit more I'm starting in verse 29 this is to be a lasting ordinance for you on the tenth day of the seventh month you must deny yourselves and not do any work whether native-born or an alien living among you, because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. And then, before Yahweh, you will be clean from all your sins. It is a Shabbat of rest, and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. The priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest is to make atonement. He is to put on the sacred linen garments and make atonement for the most holy place, for the tent of meeting and the altar, and for the priests, and all the people of the community. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. And it was done as Yahweh commanded Moses. 
So this is the Day of Atonement, right? Yom Kippur in Hebrew. And uh, so when, when is the tenth day of uh, Tishri, more or less? September, usually September, October. It's in the fall. The, the feast days, which we're going to get to in just a few chapters here, you know, they're, they're, they're a set of three in the spring and one kind of by itself and then a set of three in the fall. The three in the spring are um, Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which lasts for a week, and then um, what? No, Shavuot is the one we just did. It's, oh, and it's, yeah, well, I forgot the third one. That's terrible. I'm having a senior moment. It's, it's kind of first fruits. Rashid is what it's called, Rashid. It's, uh, it, but it's the, the thing that's nice about it is it happens on the day following the Shabbat that occurs during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, so it's always on a Sunday. Anyway, then after that one, you start counting, and you count seven sevens. You count seven Shabbats, which would be 49 days, and the day after that is another Sunday, and that's Shavuot, which was just day before yesterday for us. Right, day before yesterday was when we celebrated Shavuot. That's the one that sits by itself out in the summertime, and then the three in the fall are uh, Yom Teruah, or the Day of Trumpets, and then Yom Kippur, and then Sukkot. And those last Yom Teruah is the first of the month of Tishri, and this is Yom Kippur, which is the tenth, and then Sukkot starts on the fifteenth. So those are the three that last in the fall, and. Um, there's a time between Yom Teruah. Yom Teruah is also known as Rosh Hashanah, which is the New Year. And there's 10 days between New Year, New Year Day, if you will, and Yom Kippur. And those 10 days are called the Days of Awe. And they're the time you're supposed to sit there and reflect on these sins that you've committed over the past year. So that when Yom Kippur occurs, you're, you're in a state of mind to know what it was that you're going to be forgiven for. And that's what Yom Kippur does. So what do, they, what do you do to observe Yom Kippur? Yeah, afflict your soul. It says, yeah, afflict yourself. It's basically most of the time that's taken to mean uh, fast, deny yourself to fast. So, and, and it's not a day of celebration. It's a somber day. As a matter of fact, some of the stuff I was reading today talked about you don't really go and say to somebody, happy Yom Kippur, because it's not supposed to be a happy time. However, it's the only one of the feasts that's that way, and it's, all, it's certainly okay. Let's see, I heard one guy say it was, it was okay to say, I hope your fast is easy, you know, hope you don't die of hunger or whatever, I don't know. But uh, anyway, that is Yom Kippur, and that's the thing that is the middle of the book of Exodus, and you could argue that somehow that's supposed to be the center point of what God's doing with man. And so there's lots of things to think about. Um, somebody, Mark brought up the other day about how when Yeshua was sacrificed, you know, it was Yeshua and uh, Barabbas, right? The two guys that Pilate had to, to pick, and he, he didn't cast lots. He, he let the people decide, you know, and which one, he was going to let one of them go. So who did he let go? Barabbas, right? So Barabbas would be the, the goat that got sent away, I guess, because Yeshua was, you know, was sacrificed. Margaret. 
There seems to be a lot of parallels between Passover and atonement and then unleavened bread and Sukkot. Yeah. Because you have, you have the Barabbas that, you know, he was let go. Mm-hmm. Comparable to Azazel. Yeah. And then Yahshua had to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but in Passover, all the sins were put on Yeshua. Mm-hmm. Well, so it seems like it's it's quite the opposite. Well, I I, I understand yeah. your point. And one of the things I, I sometimes wor- wonder whether or not we work too hard at it because yeah. you could make a case for Yeshua for all of them. Yeah. Yeah, for every single one of them. But on the other hand, maybe that was the intention. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, like you say, the the lamb that sacrificed at Passover, they even call Yeshua the Passover lamb. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he works for that too. John's got something. Oh, go ahead, uh, Matthew. Well, can this just be a case that all arrows point to Jesus? You yeah. Know? It's like, yeah. Yeah. Well, you could really obviously argue that Yeshua really is the center point of all of God's plan for humanity. Right? So I like to bring this up when, we're, when it's time for Yom Kippur, but um, the four ominous signs that occurred after the death of Yeshua until the destruction of the temple mm-hmm. recorded in the in the Talmud did you you know about those no no tell me about those uh, the the four signs with the lot the scarlet cord a light on the menorah and the temple door kept opening let me just read this real quick here according to the Talmud I think both Talmuds both versions of the Talmud there were four sightings that caused the rabbis to conclude that Yahweh rejected the Yom Kippur sacrifice every year from the crucifixion of Yeshua until the temple's demise. The four signs were, every Yom Kippur the priest would place his hands on in an urn and pull out two lots, one in each hand. The right hand usually held, quote, for Yahweh, a sign of Yahweh's favor, and the other for Azazel, the scapegoat. However, every year during the four years, from Yeshua's death until the temple's destruction, the lot for Yahweh was found in the left hand. The second one was a scarlet cord. Now, that, they don't describe that so much. It's interesting to come see what they're doing, what we just read, mm-hmm. and the practices they're doing here. Yep. Anyway, the second one was a scarlet cord would be tied to the door of the temple each year as a scapegoat was taken to a precipice to meet its end, Again, that's you. That's, that's the pushing didn't say it over. that, but you, you're. That's yeah. what mm-hmm. people thought happened. As the scapegoat, who now bore Israel's sins, was cast over the cliff, the scarlet crimson cord would turn white. The Mishnah tells us that the cord stopped stopped turning white in 30 C.E., the year of Yeshua's death, the, the year Yeshua died, the year of the new covenant claims that the need for the Yom Kippur sacrifice ended. Okay. That's debatable. Yeah. The third one is the westernmost light on the temple menorah would not burn. It, it is believed that the light was used to light all the other lights of the menorah. And the fourth one was the temple doors began to open by themselves. This terrified the rabbis as they interpreted this as a sign of judgment to come. But it's in the Talmud. That's what I just so yeah, fascinating Yeah, so it's it. in the Jewish writings that those things are there. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I remember another as long as we're, the nice thing about not having to cover a certain amount of ground each time is that we can talk about a few of these little things 
But you may have heard this one. They, uh, when the high priest would do his, this job on the Day of Atonement every year, rumor has it, or it's been said, that he would, uh, they would tie a rope around his ankle. And so if he was in there, you know, doing his seven uh, sprinkles of blood and all that kind of stuff, and then he didn't come out, that he had been, you know, the, there wasn't enough smoke in the air, and evidently, you know, he was zapped, if you will, and so they'd pull him out by his ankle. Now, I don't know that that's true. It sounds a little bit fakey to me. But they also said that's why they put the bells, you know, the, on the, the priest's robe, he had a, a pomegranate and a bell and a pomegranate and a bell. That is so that if he was back there walking around doing that kind of stuff, you could hear him, you know, and you'd know that he's still alive. Yeah. There's, oh, that's a good point. Never mind. Never mind. She said that the, the bells and the pomegranates were on that blue thing, which he didn't wear when he was doing the Day of Atonement stuff. Yep, good catch. I'll quit talking about that from now on. <laughs> All right, uh, and I always like to point out the fact that um, verse 29 says, this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Okay, um, then verse 34, I guess it is, says, this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. Now, I know there's a whole bunch of, uh, well, there's a, an obviously widespread teaching and belief that, well, when Yeshua came, he did away with all of this. But uh, I don't know, he, he certainly celebrated it, right? He observed Yom Kippur. Well, I'm not so sure he did. Okay, that's the Day of Atonement. We'll see it again a little bit whenever we talk about all the feast days, but are there any other thoughts? You want to go to chapter 17? Now, chapter 17 is another one of these examples of you're reading along and you got this really good stuff, and then all of a sudden you start talking about something completely different. And I don't know why chapter 17 is here, but maybe after we get through reading it, we can figure out together why it's here. So... Would somebody like to read chapter 17? Okay. Okay. The, the ending here in 34, it says, And this shall be an everlasting statue unto you. Is that Ha'olam? Ha'olam? In ha verse 34? Ha'olam? Yeah. Verse 34, so it's like forever? Forever, yeah. So... I'm not sure there might be another way of saying that, but that's typically what yeah, it's forever ol means. Yeah, olam, olam. Okay. How about that? We're not that bad at Hebrew, huh? <laughs> Somebody want to read chapter 17? All of it? All of it? Yeah, it's not that long. <laughs> it's only 15 verses. Okay. And Yahweh spoken to Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and to the, his sons and to all the children of Israel, and say unto them, this is the thing which Yahweh hath commanded, saying, What man soever there be of the house of Israel that kills an ox or lamb or goat in the camp, and that kills it out of the camp, and brings it not unto the door of the meeting tent of the congregation to offer an offering unto Yahweh before the tabernacle of Yahweh, blood shall be imputed unto that man he hath shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among his people, to the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices which they offer in an open field, 
even that they may bring them unto Yahweh, unto the door of the meeting tent of the congregation, unto the priest, and offer them for a peace offering unto Yahweh. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood upon the altar of Yahweh at the door of the meeting tent of the congregation, and burn the fat for a sweet savor unto Yahweh. And they shall no more offer their sacrifices unto devils after whom they have gone a-whoring. This shall be a statute forever unto them throughout their generations. And thou shalt say unto them, Whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, or of the stranger which sojourn among you, that offereth a burnt offering or sacrifice, and brings it not unto the door of the meeting tent of the congregation, to offer it unto Yahweh, even that man shall be cut off from among his people. And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel or of the strangers that sojourn among you that eateth any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, No soul of you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger that sojourneth among you eat blood. And whatsoever man there be of the children of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn among you, which hunts and catches any beast or fowl that may be eaten, he shall even pour out the blood thereof and cover it with dust. For it is the life of all flesh, the blood of it is for the life thereof. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, You shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh, for the life of all flesh is the blood thereof. Whosoever eat, eateth it shall be cut off, and every soul that eateth that which dieth of itself, or that which is torn with beast, whether it be one of your own country or a stranger, he shall both wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the even, and then shall he be clean. But if he wash them not, nor bathe his flesh, then he shall bear his iniquity. Okay, so this is kind of some interesting things. We'll probably have a good discussion on this a little bit. So according to these first several verses in what uh, Margaret just read, where were all animal sacrifices to be carried out? says, any Israelite who sacrifices an ox, a lamb, or a goat in the camp or outside of it, instead of bringing it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, to present it as an offering to Yahweh in front of the tabernacle. So all of them, all sacrifices were to be offered at the tent of meeting in front of the tabernacle, right? So that's where you sacrifice all animals. Um, What do you think God's purpose was for this? So we're talking about a sacrifice, like a religious uh, thing, not let's have barbecue tonight. Yeah. Right? Yes. It's not a slaughter. It's a, it's a sacrifice Th for... That's a very important distinction. Right. Yeah. Okay. I just want so, to make sure. Yeah. It's a not. It's not. 
a, uh, a killing to have something to eat. It's a, it's a sacrifice. It's a religious thing. Uh, he wants me to look up the Hebrew word. Okay. I guess the point being, if you're not, if you're sacrificing it and you're not doing it, you're following the procedures, you're not following Yahweh's commandments, and you may be sacrificing it to another God, I guess. Yeah, that's the point. That, that, that's what I was really fishing for. It's because all the pagans do that. The pagans find some good-looking tree, and they, they want dinner, so they sacrifice something to God under this tree and have it for dinner. And God says that's not the way... That's not the way I want it done. If you're going to sacrifice something to me, it's going to be done in, in my front yard. Right? Did you have something, Marvin, you want to talk about? My version says the generic term kills. Kills. It doesn't say sacrifice. Okay. That's interesting because there, I, was, I knew we'd get here. There is a lot of people there. It's often the case that when we talk about this, people go away with the idea that if you're just wanting to have something to eat, then you have to go to the, to the tabernacle in order to have it uh, dedicated to God and, uh, and have it killed there. And it even says, as a matter of fact, down there, I, I just now noticed it this time through. Um, let me find it. Um, in verse 5, it says, This is so the Israelites will bring to Yahweh the sacrifices that they are now making in the open fields. They must bring them to the priest, that is, to Yahweh, at the entrance of the tent of meeting and sacrifice them as fellowship offerings. Okay? And a fellowship offering was the unique one that was a festive affair. It was like a, a, a backyard barbecue party. And so he says, if you're going to do that, uh, bring it to, to my, my front yard, like I say. But it's sacrifice. And I'll tell you where that finally gets clear. Go ahead, John. So, verse 7. I, this is a good verse to look at here. Okay. The sacrifice is zivkehem, is the word for, that's in the King James says sacrifice. And then it says unto devils. So, not to do this, right? And the devils is uh, La Sarim, and if you look up the La Sarim, it's uh, the 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 root of the word is Sa'ir, and one of the translations is kid, goat, devil, mm -hmm. Satir, hairy, rough. So it's it's sacrificing to demons. To it's demons, it's yeah. sacrificing to other gods is what he's really talking about. And, well, and I'm just we we talked about what what was the Azazel? Why is it the weird name sort? It's kind of associated with this. It seems it, like it is. It is. But I, I I'm glad you brought it up because the place that really clears it up is over in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 12, in verse 20. Now Deuteronomy, you know, means. Uh, second law. So it's a retelling of all of this stuff, if you will. It reads, when Yahweh your God has enlarged your territory as he promised you, and you crave meat and say, I would like some meat, then you may eat as much of it as you want. If the place where the Lord has given, Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far away from you, you may slaughter animals in, uh, from the herds and the flocks that Yahweh has given you, as I have commanded you in your own towns, and you may eat as much of them as you want. So he's not saying that if you want to you know, slaughter a, 
a sheep for a barbecue, you have to bring it to the tabernacle. If you want to just slaughter it to eat it, fine. But if you're, if you're making a sacrifice to, or an offering to God, then you have to do it to the tabernacle. Beg your pardon? It's Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 20 through something rather. 20 through 26. But it goes on, 26 says, But take your consecrated things and whatever you have vowed to give and go to the place that Yahweh will choose. Now this place that Yahweh will choose is Jerusalem, basically. But that, that happens more toward Deuteronomy. Anyway, I'm glad we talked about that. I was hoping it would work out that way. Let's go back here. So basically what he's trying to do is to keep people from sacrificing to other gods. This has always been the Israelites' main downfall, and maybe even some degree ours. Certainly, I could accuse the uh, church of doing some of this. It's like whenever I uh, have discussions with my, some of my Christian brothers about Christmas, and I, I read them that passage in Jeremiah, I think it's chapter 10 or three or something about don't, don't set up trees in your living room and all this kind of stuff and, and uh, point out that when you're bowing down and getting gifts out from under the tree, what that looks like. And they all say, well, pff, we don't attach any significance like that to it. You know, that's not what we're doing. Well, you could see these guys doing that, you know, right? So when God says he, he wants it, he wants your undivided attention. <laughs> Uh, you know, he doesn't want your, your half-hearted allegiance. So, let's see, I kind of lost a little bit where I was here, but not much. Oh, the blood. Verse 10 starts off, it says, Any Israelite or any alien living among them who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from his people. For the life of the creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Therefore I say to the Israelites, none of you may eat blood, nor may an alien living among you eat blood. So this is a pretty good, uh, pretty good thing to talk about, at least for a couple of minutes. Um, so talking about how God wants our undivided attention, so thinking about the way that you would sacrifice to an idol that's, I don't know, very like, not self-absorbed necessarily, but you're doing all the work. You know, mm -hmm. you're going to that thing, you're sacrificing it versus um, going to the tent of meeting versus the priest doing the work, going through all those steps. So you know, there's an obvious difference, and that's how God's kingdom works. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, mm -hmm. we're depending on him versus, that's good. I don't know, doing the work. Yeah. I just, I saw that parallel. That's okay. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, wait. No. Okay. Uh, we're not to eat any blood, and in our meats today, there is blood in it. So mm -hmm. are we to soak all of our meat? Well, there are certainly people that believe that, and certainly people that do that. I, this is just me, I, I look at the, at the further explanation down there. Let's see what it says. Verse 13, 
Any Israelite or any alien living among you who hunts any animal or bird that, they may, that may be eaten must drain out the blood and cover it with earth. Okay? Because the life of every creature is in its blood. So the way I look at it is it's not that one drop of blood is, is you know, that's, then you've broken the rule. It's the life of the animal is in the blood, and the reason you drain it out is as proof that the animal is no longer alive. So, and that's why, you know, typically the kosher kill is done that way. They, they slice it, the neck, from one inside to the other, and so the, the juggler veins sit there, and they often raise it up by its hind legs, and so the blood drains out. Now, are there gonna, is there going to be some blood left in it? Yeah. Yeah. Now, but the life of the animal is gone because the vast majority of the blood is on the ground. So that's the way I look at it. So I guess mainly because I don't want to have to go through. I mean, I know people that, that beat the heck out of their meat and put it in salt and it ends up just kind of white looking by the time they're done with it. But I don't know. Yeah, there's no blood in it for sure. But I, I think when it says drain the blood, that's really all it's saying. It's drain the blood. Don't cheat. I think, too, when, when you cook meat, usually the blood comes out. Mm -hmm. If you're grilling it, it mm -hmm. usually bubbles up and comes out. If you put it on the pan, it yep. comes out. Yep. If you're boiling it, it goes up to the top and you, you skim the skim scum off. off. Yeah. Yeah. So That's a good point. Um, yeah. If, that, you're, if you're cooking it, unless you're eating it raw. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I mean, I guess you could talk about the difference of rareness there. You know, I don't want it. I don't eat stuff very rare anyway. But on the other hand, I suppose steak tartare is a no-no. I don't know. I, I'm just blabbing here. But anyway, everybody does what they think is right, and I'm not holding it against anybody that does that. If they think that's what God wants them to do, that's okay with me. I think God's pretty good about. It. I mean, to some degree, He would appreciate the attitude behind that. I would think, maybe, depending on the attitude behind that. What else? Oh, I guess I just want to talk for a minute about this idea that uh, uh, it goes on and it says, uh, uh, it, it, verse 13 again, any Israelite or any alien living among you who hunts any animal or bird that may be eaten, in other words, it's on that list that we read a few weeks back, um, must drain out the blood and cover it with earth. Okay, obviously now some of the blood, the bloods that are done for uh, the sacrificing, they sprinkle that around, so that's not covered with earth. But I just thought it was interesting, cover it with the earth. God's got a special thing about blood. He really does. You know, it's, it's really important. And I, I, the thing I get out of that more than anything else is the blood on the ground is the witness that the animal has died. Come on over here. Well, if the blood, if the life is in the blood, and you're using the sacrifice as a substitute for your life that should have been killed, mm -hmm. then you're you're short circuiting short circuiting that or not respecting it by consuming the blood. Yeah, consuming the life. I guess. Yeah, that's a good idea. That's a good point. Uh, yeah, exactly. The short-circuiting would mean that, you know, you're not giving God His due, right? Yeah, because He wants the life. What your sin, wages of sin are death, right? And it's only His 
um, grace that has allowed us to sacrifice, it has allowed us to sacrifice animals in our place. Because otherwise, we'd be all history by the time we're six years old. Notice, I thought it was also interesting, verse 15 says, Anyone, whether native-born or alien, who eats anything found dead or torn by wild animals must wash his clothes and bathe with water. Then he will be ceremonially unclean till evening, and he will be clean. Now, roadkill's legal, kind of what that says to me, you know, but uh, um, you're not clean. And we, we've read about that, right? Remember the thing where we talked about if you come in contact with a dead carcass or uh, of a, certainly of an unclean animal. Of course, if you're an unclean animal, you shouldn't eat it anyway. So you'll be unclean, but it's, it says you can do that. I just thought that was interesting. Any other thoughts about that? Okay. It's got to be a clean animal. Yeah. Yeah. So armadillos won't do. Well, yeah. Okay, good. If you're going to go down that road, make sure you get it quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if it's roadkill, it ought to be pretty recent. Um, so chapters 16 and 17, like I said, um, are essentially the, the middle of the book of Leviticus. And now we're going to move on up the other side, if you will, down the lower part of the X on the chiastic thing. And so we're going to talk about moral purity. Now, moral purity would pair over here with ritual purity. And ritual purity was the stuff we've spent the last couple of weeks on about... Uh, um, you know, touching dead animals and, um, you know, various body issues and things like that that I'm not comfortable with. Uh, moral purity is a, is a different thing. So, since I hate to quit early, I think we'll, <laughs> we'll read this and then we'll come back and read it again next week just in case it's not inbred. I'll read it. Okay, I'll read, I'm going to read some of chapter 18, and then we can talk about it for just a minute, and we'll be done. How about that? Chapter 18, Yahweh said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am Yahweh your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I'm bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am Yahweh your God. Keep my decrees and my laws, for the man who obeys them will live by them. I am Yahweh. Verse 6, no one is to approach any close relative to have sexual relations. I am Yahweh. Do not dishonor your father by having sexual relations with your mother. She is your mother. Do not have relations with her. Do not have sexual relations with your father's wife. That would dishonor your father. Do not have sexual relations with your sister, either your father's daughter or your mother's daughter, whether she was born in the same home or elsewhere. Do not have sexual relations with your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter. That would dishonor you. Do not have sexual relations with the daughter of your father's wife, born to your father. She is your sister. Do not have sexual relations with your father's sister. She is your father's close relative. Do not have sexual relations with your mother's sister because she is your mother's close relative. Do not dishonor your father's brother by approaching his wife to have sexual relations. She is your aunt. 
Do not have sexual relations with your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. Do not have relations with her. Do not have sexual relations with your brother's wife. That would dishonor your brother. Do not have sexual relations with both a woman and her daughter. Do not have sexual relations with either her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter. They are close relatives. That is wickedness. Do not take your wife's sister as a rival wife and have sexual relations with her while your wife is living. Do not approach a woman to have sexual relations during the uncleanness of her monthly period. Do not have sexual relations with your neighbor's wife and defile yourself with her. Do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Molech, for you must not profane the name of your God, I am Yahweh. Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. Do not have sexual relations with an animal and defile yourself with it. A woman must not present herself to an animal to have sexual relations with it. That is a perversion. Do not defile yourselves in any of these ways because this is how the nations that I'm going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled, so I punished it for its sin, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you must keep my decrees and my laws. The native-born and the aliens living among you must not do any of these detestable things. For all these things were done by the people who lived in the land before you, and the land became defiled. And if you defile the land, I will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were there before you. Everyone who does any of these detestable things, such persons must be cut off from their people. Keep my requirements and do not follow any of the detestable customs that were practiced before you came. Do not, and do not defile yourselves with them. I am Yahweh your God. It's kind of a stern chapter, boy, you know, and pretty graphic. I remember the first time I read that, it just shocks me. But the thing that I'm caught more than anything else is, these are the things that the people that lived there before you did. And he mentions Egypt and the Canaanites. So can you, of some of that list, can you, I mean, I've, I've for example, we, History shows that the uh, uh, Egyptians often married their sister, certainly in royalty. You know, it was not uncommon for the pharaohs to be married to their sisters, whatever. Some of the other stuff. We can cite some of these examples that happened to some of the people we've already read about, right? Yes. You know, there's a debate about whether or not there were more than just Adam and Eve mm -hmm. at the time. And I would say that there must have been because uh, Yahweh never changes. Well, that's, and if he yeah. calls this incest, they were not having relations with family. Yeah, yeah I see your point. Yeah. Well, this is back to our, uh, well, let's see. I don't know if I want to go there, but never mind. The... The thing is, is that all of these things, you, I guess, let me start another. You can't shock God. He's seen it all, right? He knows, but he, can, he doesn't have any trouble just right in your face, you know, don't do these things, right? This is, this is the stuff that I detest. And I don't know, it's pretty clear. Now, let's see. Back to the list of people that have done things that we read about old, uh, see, Reuben uh, had sex with his father's concubine, right? Um, you could say 
that uh, Jacob married a rival wife, although he was duped into it, right? He thought he was marrying Rachel, found out it was Leah, and got Leah later. So, but he had rival wives, and boy, that was a miserable situation. <laughs> Who else can we think of? Oh, Judah slept with his daughter-in-law, but he didn't know it. She was disguised as, you know, a, a prostitute, and he didn't know that. But who? Yep, Absalom, yep. There were several examples of that in the, the, after Israel became a nation where they were doing stuff like that. Mike's got something. Yeah, I just wanted to touch on what the sister here was talking mm -hmm. about. Uh, one of the questions people would ask is, uh, who was Cain's wife? And, uh, yeah. you know, some people have, hold that viewpoint that she was talking about. I don't myself personally. I, I just believe it was his sister, I guess, you know, but it's not unprecedented because we know that Abraham, when he was Abram, actually married his half-sister mm -hmm. because uh, Sarah was the daughter of Terah mm -hmm. by another mother. Yep. Uh, we know that Isaac married his... I don't know if it's cousin or it's, second cousin, uh, yep. Rebecca. Yep. And uh, the same with Jacob. Mm -hmm. Married his, his aunt's or his uh, uncle's daughter, yep. daughters. Yep. So I don't know. I mean, it seems that these laws were put in place at this time be because mankind had just totally you know, abuse the privilege, so to speak, you yeah. know what I mean? And, yeah. you know, to us today, I mean, these seem like pretty much common sense, you know, from a, you know, just a... Uh, you would think. You would think, from, but, but really, you know, you could say this pretty much describes the world we live in now, you know? I mean, <laughs> it's not know. really that different, that you know? Yeah. I mean, we have all this LGBT stuff, you know, and if you were to read this scripture there, verse 22... They have a big problem with that. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. You know? So, I don't know. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's a, I think that's a good place to quit. Does anybody have any closing thoughts before we go on? Oh, Pat does. I still have the Shavalot tables and chairs in my car if somebody be willing to help unload okay. them i'll drive so, around here okay you're going to bring around tables and chairs and if we could help you unload them that would be a good thing so anybody that feels like they'd like to do that all right i think let me let me uh, you go ahead let me close in prayer and then we'll we'll go do that well father god thank you for your evening thank you for uh this section of the torah about yom kippur um and then the other things that we've talked about and read about I uh, thank you again for the group of people that was uh, willing to come out tonight and do this. I ask that you um, filter whatever I've said that, so that the people that have heard it can go off and think about these things and decide what it is that you're trying to teach them, and me as well, Father God. These are always challenging things, but I just appreciate your word so much. It's, uh, it's such a rock in my life. Um, just bless us as we go this week until we meet together on Shabbat or next Tuesday. In Yeshua's name. Amen. Thank you. Thanks very much for coming.